Okay. <sighs> Racial identity. It's, it's a topic that for me has been always a, I wouldn't say sore spot, but I've always felt like I didn't really understand what it meant to be one race whether that was my Colombian heritage, being Colombian, that was my racial identity, or being Canadian, more of a cultural identity, or the, you know, belonging to the group or the country or the nationality of which you were raised. And the, the focus on race in the past few years, at a time when I'd begun to kind of give up my racial identity or shift my own personal attention away from it, has made it kind of a contested one or kind of a something that in my own personal life holds some degree of conflict. How has race kind of briefly played a role for yourself? Oh, I mean, I don't know. It's never, you know, I'm, I'm just like a white American in the sense that it was never a topic growing up. You know, it was never something that I, I truly like understood beyond the fact that like I'm white and my friend is black and my other friend is Asian. And, you know, beyond that, like, I think going to college and, you know, having like a higher level of education where you really start getting into the intricacies of these conversations and their implications just kind of opened my eyes up, you know, um, to how much race plays a role in most people's lives so kind of university um, you didn't yeah feel like you thought about race that much no not necessarily and you know to give some background like I grew up in a total melting pot town it you know it was about 15 minutes south of Sacramento and I think I maybe had like one white friend in the whole course of like K through six. And I was the kind of person who, you know, went to all sorts of people's house. I made friends with everybody that I could. I was very extroverted at that age. And most people were not white. And so I kind of just grew up with this perception of, you know, all these different kinds of people around me and that that was really normal. And obviously looking back now, like I see, like there was a lot of, you know, subtle racism in different ways in that town, but for the most part, you know, it's not, I feel like it's so different than growing up in like a, an area that's, yeah. Or like an area that's mostly white. Like, you know, one of my best friends grew up in a place in Portland that's like essentially all white. And so again, it just, it, it wasn't very, most white, um, but very progressive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's just interesting that um, it took that long for me to truly understand, like, uh, you know, how much weight race holds in our world. And um, like I said, just kind of the implications of that and the way that people are affected by that and the barriers people face because of that and all of all of that, you know. So like my own experience, I feel like is so, so different than yours, which is why like, I really want to hear about yours and, you know, you talk about your background as being, you know, Colombian, but in Canada and 
Um, I have a lot, I guess, more like questions that I want to ask than necessarily a lot of my own personal, like white girl experiences to talk about, you know, I feel like there's not much to give there. But you know what, I think that there is an important thing that you just said or touched on, and that's being a white person in the United States, or perhaps even in Canada, your racial identity is something that goes unnoticed. It's invisible. And there is some power in that in never having to see yourself as the other. It's almost that, as if that's like, the privilege. Like, that is right. That's the privileges. Yeah. Well, well, yes, you are the you are the racialized others. I am the thing that belongs here in a country that I mean, historically speaking, again, in the past 500 years, didn't really belong to anybody who looked. White. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but but very quickly, you know, the national identity came, took hold, you know, within the past few hundred years. And that made itself so that, you know, white people became the, uh, the, the norm. However, I do want to point out that I think racial history sometimes is simplified and that there is this suggestion that, you know, like, oh, all white people's experience was the same. And that might be true for today. But there was a time, right, when an Italians came to the U.S., mm-hmm. they were the other. When the Irish came to the U.S. and uh, the U.S. and they were the other, and that's even happened in Canada when the Polish came, they were the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been a reoccurring theme throughout history that whiteness is not necessarily uh, an idea of complexion or your racial tone. It's actually much to do with a social identity, a social standing, and yes, it's ended up being that whiteness, so to speak, that, that invisibility. Yes, those groups end up looking white, but I mean, a lot of Italians are not white, literally, but they just no longer are othered anymore. You know, they've integrated enough that they mm-hmm. now recognize as uh, white. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that's something important to note, you know, that being white hasn't necessarily historically been enough to be part of the normative uh, head, head, header. I think I'm mistaking a word here, but, you know, the normative power. Yeah, I, it's definitely very, Hegemony. <laughs> I feel like it is important and interesting to note that like kind of the quote unquote, like definition of white has, you know, expanded over time to encompass more and more groups of people that were originally not considered white. And yeah, I learned about that in immigration classes and college. It was really interesting. I did not know that before that. Yeah, super interesting to learn about. Definitely something I would recommend people take a look at. And it might kind of help us recognize how race and the idea of race continues to evolve and why, in my own personal beliefs, I think that the idea should continue to evolve. And I think that the natural evolution should be recognizing that race is really a socialized, imagined construct and that we should move towards uh, larger identities, more real identities, that of the human race, that of you know, human, something that doesn't necessarily cause division based on characteristics that, you know, are just accidents of our ancestors' environments, you know, the symptoms of our ancestors led to conditions. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious then to hear you talk about, you know, you pretty much just said it's like a social construct. So I'm curious to hear, like, kind of, I guess, you know, why, like, you know, show your receipts. Yeah, yeah. Like what? <laughs> well, okay. In my, like, in my understanding in psychology, right, we can go to, we can talk about the ego and the ego forms the basis of our social identity and it de- its development marks the birth of the conscious realization in recognizing that you are separate from your mother, right? Once the, your ego, uh, which 
evolves or develops rather, it's your mind recognizing that there is a separate self. And that's great. And that, and now race is just a simply a characteristic of being a separate entity from other people. It's now a characteristic that we add to the portfolio of being different from others. And at the same time, there is also a level of community that's built because now, oh, I'm also now of belonging to others. You know, and that's very cool. And that happens with our genders. It happens with our religion. That happens, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a very human experience. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously what happened with me. I accept, unlike most people who experience a racialized identity and who grow up or build some sort of community, I left Colombia when I was three and a half years old, or you know, three and a few months. And I didn't get to build that sense of national identity or racialized identity. And I was very quickly uh, thrown into the Canadian uh, multicultural identity. Mm-hmm. I remember I actually didn't even speak until I was almost three. So I even then with the language, by the time I was really speaking, I was speaking both English and Spanish at the same time. I had a very dualistic um, cultural kind of uh, linguistic upbringing. And I never saw myself as the other necessarily growing up in Canada because I just assumed because like Canada, really, at least where I grew up in Vancouver, it is extremely multi-diverse. It is mm. you know, Asians, Iran, Iran, people from Iran, people from you know, white people, uh, Polish people, uh, not, not a lot of black people, but people from all, you know, most racial groups, the Latinos like myself. And mm-hmm. as such, what it meant to be a Canadian had very little to do with race, at least the way that we were being educated upon it. So I didn't, I didn't even think of myself as another. It didn't begin until I until I was in elementary school and you know, the notion of like your own name came up and the recognition that people were having trouble with my name, with Esteban. And I thought, Esteban. And I thought, it's such a, what do you mean? Your names are just as complicated. It's not, but they're like, it's not a normal name. And that was, I think, one of the first times when it became apparent to me that like some aspect of my identity mm. was not normalized. And it was something as simple as my name at first. And mm-hmm. unfortunately over the years, then it began, then it began with my hair. Oh my, oh, your hair is so curly. And everybody had straight hair. And then it began even in the video games and the media that I consumed because I was a huge fan of like Legend of Zelda uh, and even the Uncharted series and you know all the prolific characters and most pieces of media are white men, which mm-hmm. up until I never, I always saw myself as them, but it wasn't until then when I wanted to dress up or explore costumes and all this because you know, I was a huge nerd that it felt like I just wasn't quite fitting in. I wasn't quite hitting the role or the expectation of the role because, ah, my hair is too curly. So I asked my, or my hair is not uh, light. So I asked my mom to dye my hair. So all of a sudden I had golden locks, but then I caught, got caught Goldilocks in school. So I hated that. And then I didn't mm. like that everyone said my name wrong. So I changed it to Steven very quickly. And I, cause I wanted a white name. I wanted a name that it could just oh. escape into the fold. I didn't like the fact that every time I said my name, people ask me where I was from because I thought in my brain as a young kid, I said, I'm from here, you know, but where yeah. are you from? Okay. Well, I'm born in Colombia, but Oh, okay. So you're Colombian. And that, that seemed fine. And I didn't have a, that much of a problem with it. In fact, I kind of had some sense of pride, like, okay, yeah, I'm Colombian. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a problem with it. And it wasn't until I got, again, this is probably when I'm around 12, 11 or 12 years old that when I start talking and engaging more with my cousins in Colombia, I start recognizing they don't, the reason that they hadn't been so talkative with us or maybe a factor as to which maybe there was a bit of a distance is that we were the Canadians to them. 
they, they would talk about my family as the Canadians. And when I would go about in Colombia and speak Spanish, people would ask me, oh, where are you from? And I'd go, I'm from here. I was born in Medellin. And they'd go, no, no, no. Well, where were you raised? Because they could hear my accent. They could hear that I had mm-hmm. uh, English tonality in the way I would say things. And I would say, okay, I've, um, I live in Canada. They go, ah, that's it. And it's almost like they'd spotted a fake, ah, got it. Like you're not, you're not a real Colombian. And this drama kind of mm. played itself out in my life. And I was caught in this back and forth between feeling like in Canada, it's very clear I'm not Canadian because nobody ever assumes I'm from here. Not like that's never happened. And in Colombia, the moment I speak, they recognize that I'm not from here either. And it seemed like I was cast between two kind of cultural racial identities. I was never white passing, but I, but I never, but I was enough, but I wasn't fitting in enough in Colombia to pass in with them. And I wasn't fitting up, fitting in enough in Canada to pass as one of them. So I was honestly at a bit of a crossroads and that's kind of where my own personal apathy towards the idea of race began. I thought, well, that's mm. such a dumb idea anyways. And then certain truths came to life, for instance, the biological implications of race. Notably, biologically, race really is only skin deep. Like decades of research shows that there's a lack of genetic differences between racial and ethnic groups. So the idea of race doesn't even hold up under scientific scrutiny. And I learned that around 15 years old. So Mm. for myself, and at this point, I began kind of separating myself from race as as anything, as a reality, as a construct, because I I mean, I found that biological truth. So then I kind of lent into, oh, so then it's not real at all. Like if, if everyone just stopped talking about it, it would disappear. And there's, mm. some, there's some beauty in that naivety because I, you know, I like, the, I like <laughs> that idea even now. But unfortunately, that's just, just because you don't want to see something doesn't mean that other people don't hold these ideas as true. And then yeah. it was when I was about 18 or 19, I was... I forget who it was. I mean, he didn't mean any harm by it, but I lived in a house with it was me and like other brown guys, you know, like myself, a Colombian, a guy who was half black, and then two guys from Iran. And the white guy was hanging out with us. He didn't live there. And he was like, oh, you know, you guys are actually so nice. And I kind of caught him on. I said, what do you mean actually so nice? He goes, I don't know. You guys just kind of look all, you know. I said, ah, no, come on. Like say, he goes, oh, no, no, I didn't mean like that. And I opened the floor. I said, no, I'm not going to get offended. I just want to know what you mean. He goes, I don't know. I guess there's this, you know, you guys are like not white and like, you know, he's like, and you have a tattoo. So it just, I don't know. I thought maybe you guys were going to be like tough and hard, but you guys are really nice. And that was one of the first moments I, I I guess I kind of woke up again to, huh? Yes. My race actually does have an effect on how I'm being perceived and perhaps even judged by people who don't know me and i guess the media perceptions of what brown or black you know brown and black people are like you know i guess we're tougher we're gangsters we're whatever we are pre- uh, presented as a media is having a real impact on how this night nice innocent well-meaning white guy had on us when he first met us um and mm-hmm. that's kind of again then when i woke up back to okay wait i can't ignore race i can't I can't, I can't act like there's no impact of race. It's mm-hmm. all good and happy to say, I hope that there's a future where we can come to a collective identity that is larger than these socially constructed ones, that is larger than the physical characteristics that we manifest due to our ancestors' climate, climate conditions. That's great. That's all great to have in the, right? 
And that's great even to hold. It's great to even try to shape that here and now. But if you hold that as if there aren't real racialized injustices, then you're being ignorant. And, you know, and yeah, and I, I think it was my woman's studies course where we learned about intersectionality. While I'm not a huge fan of the idea, there is some light that was shed through that lens, which is recognizing that race is one of the many factors in which one can be, you, they say oppressed, but I would just like to say there's just, it's just a different characteristic that might affect how people treat you in this world. You know, gender is one of them, race is one of them, disabilities. And, you know, mm -hmm. these are all real things, real factors that are perceived in our social world that might cause people to treat you differently. And at this point, I've gotten to a point where I, I love my Colombian heritage. I embrace aspects of my Colombian self because while I did grow up in Canada, I grew up in a Colombian household under a set of Colombian values in a new, mm -hmm. in a new age. And there are, you know, some, you know, I, a lot of people characterize me as being very flirty. I always think I'm very friendly, right? <laughs> but that's my, that's very Latino with me. I've been told. And even my mother, I always witness her. And I think she's so uh, fun and friendly with people. And then people think my mom's flirty. And I think I guess, again, it's something I just, I just monkey see monkey do. I just learned how to behave socially from my mother, but that is a way mm -hmm. in which that cultural identity like continues to pass itself down, I guess, and how I present. And I'll be honest, there is a sense now with the growing kind of wake of white guilt in our in North America and this kind mm -hmm. of, and nowadays you see a lot of white people who might have one sixteenth something, they cling to that <laughs> one aspect that isn't white. And in that, in that growing uh, almost pride in being a minority, which is, you know, good for us, you know, I do notice that I actually am now, I feel like I'm in a better position, but, and socially, like when people know that I'm Colombian, I actually sense that there's a bit of, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is bad or good. I, I mean, I, I enjoy the, but it's like, oh, you're Colombian. Like, that's cool. That's exotic. But like, wow, like the fact that you have this different perspective and that you're from another country is a good thing because I'm just boring and I'm white. And I, and I, and I feel some sense of, I feel bad because I go, oh no, I don't want white people to feel like what I did. or like, I don't want any racialized group or non-racialized group to feel worse about themselves because of their racial identity, especially when the entire time I grew up, I kept thinking, I didn't ask this. I'm just, mm -hmm. what do you mean? Like, I, I, I never <laughs> felt like I played any role in my racial identity because like I said before, I guess I didn't grow up in Colombia. So I kind of just yeah. felt like I was thrown into being Colombian, but I didn't even get to be Colombian. And yeah. then I was, so I got to be Canadian, but nobody got to, nobody recognized that I was Canadian. Yeah. That, that's what bugged me. I was like, I'm trying to be Canadian. Like I'm trying to be what you guys are asking of me to be, and I'm still being othered. So that's kind of been, that's kind of a gist of my racialized experience. Obviously, you know, a couple names here and there, like there was experiences in high school where I don't think they were inherently racist individuals. I think that they just used race as a point of insult because they were ignorant teenagers, but you know, where people are, oh, you dirty Colombian using terms, derogatory terms like spick or wetback that are traditionally used to insult like uh, Latin Americans or Mexican Americans. Mm -hmm. But I guess there's not that much creativity around racialized uh, insults <laughs> for Colombians. But even now, there are moments that I do, I get a little frustrated, but I always humble myself in knowing that, you know, not to take things personally and don't make assumptions, but 
you know, I, I bartend and people will ask me, oh, where are you from? Or, you know, what's your background? And I go, I'm Colombian. And they just can't help themselves from making those jokes of, oh, you got some white. They're like, oh, at Pablo Escobar. And again, it's, it, that's more of a media problem. And that's where I always, when it comes to race, my biggest problem doesn't tend to come from individuals. Because I think most individuals are good meaning people who just might not be the most politically correct or most educated. Most, pe most people that I know have good hearts. It's that the way that the media ends up portraying Blacks, Latinos, Colombians, mm -hmm. it almost glamorizes and glorifies the worst aspects of our cultures or maybe just only focuses on one historical narrative of it because it sensationalizes mm -hmm. those parts of us. Yeah. Again, and that continues to create an othering. It makes us seem like we're not just, we're not the norm. Like we're not also just normal three-dimensional humans who are also, yes, we have that, we are of that race. We have those cultural norms or backgrounds, but I think most of us have more similarities than differences. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, the media really does skew that into kind of creating an othering effect, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. and, and that's, that is the part that bugs me. I just don't think personally that the way that we're going to move out of that is by asking people like myself to become, I don't know, like heavily focused on my own racial identity. The most freeing thing for me has been to work on my identity as an individual and like mm -hmm. things and values like my morality, my personal values, how I show up in my personal relationships. And to be honest, those are probably the biggest things in my life. And they, none of those questions have very much to do with my race. Like yeah, my race is, is an afterthought. And it's too bad that sometimes that's how people, because, you know, it's skin deep people. That's how they perceive me. It's the first thing they see. And unfortunately, people will treat you differently. But in my own personal life, the way I move through this world, it doesn't provide much value or con yeah it doesn't provide much value or additional value for me to be over conscious extremely self-conscious or more conscientious around my race yeah wow okay you just went in thank you for that um i really appreciate it just hearing like your whole <laughs> your whole experience and story with it um but i guess i'm kind of curious like just to, I guess, kind of sum it up in a way, like where would you say you have landed at now then? Like if you could just put it briefly with like how you feel around, you know, like what you mostly identify within yourself if it's not um, these kind of more, as you call them, like surface level, like social identities. Uh, I think I identify with my family. Like I identify, like mm. my race means something to me because it's what my family is like oh we all mm. look the same because yes we share this thing okay our physical characteristics but in this you know in mm -hmm. layman's terms we share the same racial identity and i like that why because i like the way i look because i love who i am at this time in my life so and let's be and we are also beings of aestheticism we're beings with eyes we see so I'm not negligent. So I, I'm kind of at a point where I go, I love myself, right? I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm learning to. As such, the way I look is an aspect of what I love. And the way I look is directly mm. influenced from my race. And mm. the way I act, well, it's directly influenced from my parents. And my parents are directly influenced from the country they grew up in. So yeah. I'm, of course, I'm a product of all that. And I love it. And I'm proud of it because I like who I am, where I am, and my unique individual perspective. However, in saying all that, it just doesn't seem to me that race is a thing that I care to 
focus on beyond that. Beyond mm -hmm. that, it's something I, when I see people caught up in dramas around race, particularly like very small nuances around like, like Latin X, I go, mm -hmm. there, there, there was, I, I don't think that was a real thing in the Latino community. I think there was maybe a hundred or maybe a thousand Americans who are probably don't even speak Spanish, who are probably so disconnected from their culture, who made that argument. And it seems silly because if you go ask the Latinos in the countries, none of them cared. So it, it's like <laughs> well, the, the social discourse battles that seem to be happening don't seem to be relevant. If we want to have a relevant conversation, let's talk about the CIA and it's like disgusting coups throughout South America. Let's talk about yes. the CIA supplemented guns to the uh, cartels. Uh, when, let's, let's talk about the real impacts of American policy, American foreign policy on my country and, mm -hmm. my, and, my, and my family. I don't care about semantics around my, my race. That, that doesn't, that's not real. That's not a real issue. And unfortunately, I think often racial uh, conflict in media is an overdramatized nothingness that is used as a distraction from what the kind of things I'm talking about, real policies around mm -hmm. foreign policy that actually affect people of different countries or races. You know, I, I don't think it matters about the race. I just, we, they live in different places and empires like America are negligent in what they do. They don't care as long as it serves them. Those are the real conversations that we should be having around how um, the U.S. will literally have a coup in a foreign country just so that they can yeah. uh, their own oil companies there as the dominant exporters of oil. This is a real conversation I'd love to have, but unfortunately, the racial conversations that I'm brought back in towards or that seem to be in the fold are, are just negligibly important in my, in my own life. Now, what I do think is important is the, the conversation around the racial legacies that have been left over in the United States and in Canada, specifically regarding Black Americans and Indigenous Canadians. Mm -hmm. Now, that is a racial conversation. I go, great, let's talk about it. How has redlining in the 60s affected it, marginalized uh, people now in the U.S. now and today? Now, I don't believe that the U.S. is a racist, like an inherently racist country today. I don't believe that at all. Now, what I think is that America had so many racist policies in the past 50 years, 60 years, right? That even that since just, our entire beginning, <laughs> right? Just as Canada did with any single, with the Chinese, with the Indians, with the Japanese, every country has been racist, just as Colombia did with their own indigenous. Every country has a history of racial segregation, discrimination in all their policies. Now, when I go about the problems of today, America is faced with a well, we changed the policies, but it seems like we, the communities are, aren't, aren't doing good. And then, of course, the Republicans love to throw the, well, it's their fault now. It's the pull yourself up by your bootstrap. I'm not so ignorant. I go, no, it's not that. It's that you, put, you segregated this community at one point. Good. And then you didn't let, allow any, and so no good businesses were able to come into this area because no, no one was educated. And then you also pushed a bunch of, uh, gun stores and liquor stores into these communities and you didn't provide any community funding for parks for recreation centers and the fund the public funding for those schools is nil and then you wonder oh how are these communities why are they doing so bad why is there so much crime i go because you missed them and you might have changed the policy today there might not be any law that one can point at today and go this is a racist law 
But even without that, there are racial legacies that are left over, mm-hmm. like racial injustices of our past. That's a real problem that I'd love to, like, you know, that I go, that's what we should focus on. Yeah. I wonder how that should play out. Like, you know, how are we going to create funding in these communities, after school programs? That's all well and real. And same thing for what's happened to the Indigenous youth in Canada, where their grandparents experienced so much abuse in a, uh, the residential school system which means that when they left those systems, they were, uh, had so much trauma, if they survived, that they often became violent themselves because they had violence inflicted on them. And this is the story of intergenerational trauma that led them to abuse their kids. And then their kids now abuse their kids. And unfortunately, it is now trauma that they are, yes, con- inflicting among themselves. But the perpetrators of that trauma or the instigators of it are unfortunately the residential school systems for the government of Canada. And the inaction, the lack of reproach the lack of accountability that's extremely frustrating for me i feel so hard and heavy for them because most of our homeless population in canada are indigenous most of the people Mm. in prisons in canada are indigenous and it's clear to me that the government just doesn't they feel like if they take too much accountability then they'll be forced to actually do something and they don't want to yeah yeah so these are the racial conversations i love to have and i'd love to engage in i just don't have a lot i don't care to engage in things that i don't think are actually of that much importance like like those small semantics and whatnot like i see people on tiktok will make a whole 10 minute video talking about how extremely racist it is that white people how evil white people are because they ask them where they're from now i will say this is a little bit annoying and you know of course it is i'm from i mean i'm right right here but what you're actually getting mad at is curiosity of a person who's never been othered and who who has lived so long in a media that has perpetrated the idea or perpetuated the idea that they are the norm. Thus, Mm -hmm. of course, the white person thinks you're the other. I don't blame white people or think that white people who ask me things like that or that act as if their norm are evil racist people. That's crazy. That's crazy. They're not racist. They're curious people whom... Yeah. Who, they're well-intentioned people whom because their whole lives they've literally been to made told and feel feel like they are the norm that's what they think they are they think they're normal so when they see people who don't look like them they think it's totally appropriate to go hey where are you from not recognizing the nuance around immigration policies over the last 40 years the realities that how mm-hmm. mixed our countries are and that it's kind of getting out of taste but I, I don't worry about this. You know why? Because I genuinely believe things like this, the things we tend to focus on or create a lot of conversation around, a lot of uh, uh, entertainment. TikTok drama. TikTok <laughs> drama. I go, yeah. wait, wait 20 years. That's all to say. Nothing changes. Let's say everybody stays exactly as hateful as the same. Just wait. You know what will happen? It just won't be a reality because you'll look around and we're going to mix. It's happen. It's happening. It'll happen when I, if I ever, you know, if I marry a white woman and we have kids, boom, that's a mix. Like the, this story is unfolding. And then the nuance of what you're getting upset about, it won't even exist in 20 years as a matter of consequence of, yes, the immigrants came, we've come, and now we will, we will mingle. Because guess what? <laughs> guess the country that I came from? We don't have these kind of discussions. We don't have the same problems. We have our own problems. Because we all look this, like we're all mixed. Like we're mixed, we're mestizo, which is like a, a blend. We just, we're a blend of Spaniards, yeah. we're a blend of indigenous, a blend of black. We're just, yeah, we blended. That's what's going to happen to the Americas and to Canada. We'll blend and eh, 
it, the, the, the small things won't matter, but will still matter is how come these communities are, are, are suffering? How come these communities are uh, disproportionately in prison, this, this? Then I go, great, let's talk about the racial legacies of our past. Let's talk about racial profiling and how this, like, you know, the, pol and the police system, let's, mm -hmm. those are great conversations to have. Mm -hmm. I just don't like the TikTok drama racist racial <laughs> stuff that, that I don't believe serve anybody but the person who's talking. Mm. Fascinating. Okay. So again, appreciate you going in on all of that. And I'm curious to hear your opinion kind of more, I guess, within the spiritual context mm. of like identifying um, identifying with humanity, like your own, like humanity and humanness mm -hmm. before anything else. And like, kind of just how it relates to this conversation. And also, you know, there are people who almost like don't even identify with their humanity. And it's like, no, nah, I'm just a soul. You know, I'm mm -hmm. just this like eternal energy that's floating through this temporary vessel, um, which I feel is kind of like, I don't know, like the highest level of like spiritual identification or over identification that you can have. And then it's kind of like drops into more, you know, your sense of identity or self largely comes from recognizing yourself as a human among other humans and not these really, you know, more divided ways. And then kind of, you know, below that is more so, you know, these more cut up social identities identities and just kind of what your take or what your spin on all of that is and yeah what do you have to say i'm a bit of a student of i'm recently sorry i have been recently educating myself i've been recently on what sorry what was that on the yoga chakra or chakra system and from my understanding of this one perspective for instance, this notion of what you suggested earlier, the highest uh, spiritual uh, perspective on identity, that would come from like our crown chakra, which is located just above here. And it's that kind of intellectualized spiritual perspective, you know, and, and if in terms of identity, that would be the aspect of ourselves or the recognition that, yes, at, 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 in one sense, we are a spirit, we are of the eternal consciousness, we are one with the universe, our human identity is ephemeral. I mean, literally we die. Like, so of course the human identity has a beginning and an end that much is certain. My yes. So yeah. in, in that one, it's yes, but the awareness that has always been, will always be. And in that regard, I am not even tied to my, my own human existence. And that's a great thing to have to recognize on some level, but it's also good. In my opinion, I think it's good to be in contact with all the chakras and all of these senses or different energy centers. And on another energy center, I'm very in tune with my body, my physical body, my physical sense of self. And that physical sense of self also is actually impacted by, well, I mean, look at me, my color, that's my, that's mm -hmm. part of my mm -hmm. racial identity. And mm -hmm. I can recognize the, and then on, and there's another level that of chakra, I forget which one, but it's tied to like your, uh, like a lot of like the social world. And I was like, okay, so in the social world, we have historical narratives and imagine and ideas to which we all give power, like the idea of countries and the idea of uh, groups of people and the idea of like the historical narratives that have played out. 
and as such, I recognize them too because they did happen and they have had long-lasting impacts on the lives of humans who are now alive today. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, I go, oh yes, I recognize that truth and I recognize the implications of you know the Spaniards going to Colombia and how the colonization of South America was a brutal conquest of, but has somehow led to the beautiful arrival of myself and how I am a breed of rape and pillaging and conquest and there is a beautiful terror in that that is how history unfolds there is violence and there is war and there is chaos and then there is creation beauty stillness and life and it's this cycle of yin and yang and Mm -hmm. while I am when I while I can recognize my identity on every level I recognize the level of which I am not Esteban Palacio. Esteban Palacio was a name. It is a title of which I was given, of which I have repeated to many people, of which I have told to many people, but it is not who I am. What I am is the awareness. And I'm the, I'm the, I am at the seat of my consciousness. I sit there. I observe the words. I observe the emotions and thoughts. That's a, that's a space I hold. It's a space of which I practice engaging with in meditation and coming into full connection with, but that is not a place in which I spend all my time because I, I am also a socialized human in the social world. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I am not a monk in a monastery alone. If I was, <laughs> then I wouldn't be much of a social being, at which point that's probably the identity I'd probably sit with more often because mm. to sit with the identity of Esteban Palacio from here, from there, but I probably wouldn't feel as okay being in a monastery, being alone, sitting there. And, that, and that's <laughs> yeah. why I think there's a beauty in the spiritual perspective in the highest mm-hmm. regard because- Getting in contact with that is what can allow us to find stillness, peace, clarity, non-react, non-reactivity, because that aspect of ourselves, that, that higher self, the higher spirit, doesn't get caught up in a lot of drama, right? And that is, for a lot of the Buddhists, that's, that's, um, that's the goal, man, to hit nirvana, to free ourselves from desire, to no longer engage in that karmic drama that we're all trapped within. I'm not necessarily a Buddhist. I, I owe almost like most of my, uh, my, you know, spiritual inclinations to the Buddhist, but I'm not a Buddhist. And Mm -hmm. as such, uh, I think the drama is also part of the fun. It's part of being, (laughs) Um, I I engage with it in a playful manner, but I I try, I mean, one of the quotes or quotes, but something I really try to live by is don't take yourself too seriously. And another one, which is a little bit more PG 14 is, Talk your shit, but don't eat it too. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that really is like whatever you're preaching, your ideology, your racial narratives, talk your shit, man. And you know, you can you can say what you say, man. It's a free country, free speech, but just don't eat it. Don't buy your own narratives enough that you are you become rigid, close-minded, and dogmatic. And that's how I that's how I kind of lean into with my own racial uh identity. I go, yeah, I'm Colombian, because you know, obviously my parents were, I was born there. But I'm not going to hold that thing like that's all I am. Come on. And just as I, mm. I wouldn't go, all I am is an artist. No, I'm also this. I'm a, I'm a million different things. I'm, I'm a constantly, I'm a dynamic system that's constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. And I mean, that's like, like you said, it's kind of like identity wise, like putting all your eggs in one basket with like anything, mm. you know, when people like, you know, they're like, oh, like I'm a doctor and like, Right. You know, it's like then your entire sense of self and identity and worth and value and accomplishments Mm -hmm. comes from being a doctor. And that's not 
you know, I, you know, having that tie to that and seeing that as part of your identity, mm-hmm. I think is totally human. It's when it becomes your entire identity, mm-hmm. right. That you might be going down like a slippery slope, because like you said, we're very complex, dynamic, like ever-changing. Right. And I just think of humans Oh, we're just these little systems made up of a million fucking parts. And I think the issue, you know, I mean, one of the issues that I think we really experience is this like over identifying with one part and Mm -hmm. it, it kind of starts to cause those other parts to like fall off in a way, if that makes sense. And that can just, um, absolutely. I just feel like it can end up leaving you in a really unfulfilled place because you're meant to, you know, expand. Yeah. And like, just, I don't know. I feel like really see yourself in so many different ways and like facets and like, you know, you're, you're this, but you're that and you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that, you know? And it's like that beauty of being this big, kind of basket of constantly changing shit that makes humans interesting. And I just, I find that the people that I connect best with are people that I feel have a lot of quote depth. And it's like, had me thinking like, what, what does that mean? You know, like beyond just someone's ability to converse in a certain way, like what does someone having a lot of depth mean? And I feel like it is this ability to kind of, I don't even know like the right language to use here. Like the the ability to exist in so many shapes and forms and facets, you know, and to like shift between those in, in like a more horizontal manter manter a a more horizontal manner than like putting all these things above and below each other and like seeing your identity in this kind of hierarchical way Mm. it's more like again this kind of just wide range right and um Yeah. yeah i find that to be a really beautiful part of being human and one that we should encompass if we are so able to no i love that because on a on a like spiritual note it's like if you recognize you are the universe, right? Like, or that we are one, then when we come back from that enlightened perspective and you come and now you act out it again on the social world, then to be able to find a connection, a meaningful connection with any kind of person on any social group, identity, religion, race, doesn't matter, then you are wholly embodying that spiritual truth of we are one because you are able to find yourself in everybody. And I, if there's one thing I'm proud of myself is that I, I can have a conversation, a meaningful conversation with just about anybody. I'm as a bartender and a server for the last like 10 years or nine or whatever decade in the service industry. I've really found that. And that's also often a note of which I'm happy with, albeit, you know, it's harder with some people. And yeah, I, I'd say and what, to, to go back to race and to touch on what you said about over-identification, my own fears around race come from over-identification, specifically because I know what it's like to be over-identified with an aspect of who you are. And what it does is it makes you easily reactive, manipulate, manipula- manipulatable. Like it, you become easy to manipulate. Yeah. And it's very easy to pick and prod you and f- get a desired outcome or behavior when you're over-identified with something, an aspect of your being, sp- mm. especially race. 
if I know you are an, like, let's say if I, if I'm who I am and somebody, and I'm extremely over-identified with being Colombian, if somebody wants to get a rise out of me, all they have to do is call, you know, say, make a few jokes about cocaine and, and, and Pablo Escobar. And because I'm so over-identified, I would get extremely offended and I would get that, take that personally. And I, and unfortunately, I think that's the incongruence between being a spiritual person and practicing a lot of the notions around, uh, ideas around Buddhism, non-detachment or detachment, uh, because, those ideas that are being perpetrated, uh, being shared in the spiritual communities are trying to get us to not be reactive, to not be uh, assumption or emotionally driven creatures, you know, like to the point where we can't be rational, create space, find stillness and, you know, be in control of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, I think that the over-identification with race is, is a very easy place to make people everything that the spiritual, the mystics, the gurus, the teachers are kind of trying to advocate against, or like what they're advocating for is very much in contrast to what an overly identified person with their race ends up acting out in the real world. And it's, that's, it's, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I feel like it's just really important to emphasize like the... <laughs> you know, using the word over identification versus identification, like that slight shift of over, I think is really important because it's not like the issue is identifying with different parts of yourself. It's like over identifying mm -hmm. with these different parts of yourself and what that can lead to, like everything you just said. And also really interesting, just how that ties in with like previous conversations we've had off camera around like radicalization and people getting into extremist ideologies right like mm. over identifying with one social aspect of yourself is kind of one of the i mean you know one of many it's not the only thing but like one of the fast tracks into more extremist ideology and being able like you said when you're really over identified with an aspect of yourself someone can really like you know uh, get yeah and like get a rise out of you like you were Enjoy. saying and yeah and in you know that sense it's um I don't know it's just really interesting to think about how that ties into a lot of what we're saying of like you know extreme left and extreme right like I don't you know people talk about alt-right and mm. I just feel like there's so much extremism on the left too that's like not as talked about as much um, which like, we don't have to go into right now, but, you know, just interesting that it fundamentally part of it comes down to this, like over identifying with one, one part of you and how mm -hmm. people can use that to re really access something deep within you and mm -hmm. change, you know, your view and beliefs in a way that might actually be hurting yourself and others around you and probably isn't contributing to a, you know, better well-functioning like smooth running you know system democracy whatever mm -hmm. like at the end of the day i we could do a whole separate episode on like you know extremism and extremist ideologies and how that ties in with spirituality in the holistic world yeah very interesting stuff that's yeah uh yeah it's extremism of course i mean 
I like how you say, yeah, like the extremism on both sides on any political spectrum on any, you know, side or spectrum of things, it always comes from the same kind of process. It's like there's an over-identification mm-hmm. with a group, with a, uh, and there's maybe a lack of purpose, meaning, or in the individual's life. And there's often a charismatic leader or charismatic leaders or just powerful ideas that get a kind of chokehold on these individuals and make them act out in groupthink. And I, and again, you said it touches on something internal. Yes, it's touching on our tribal tendencies as humans. In evolutionary psychology, we do learn about that. Tribalism on some level helped us survive when we lived in little tribes, it was really, really good and effective for you to be really cognizant of who was in your tribe, anyone who wasn't in your tribe, they are the other, and you should feel a little bit, you know, a bit of fear and a little bit of, you know, like suspicion, paranoia, and even a little aggression, because back then we were killing each other. We were actively engaging in, you know, little wars, fights for resources, for land, for territory, and even amongst each other with the animals, we were always in constant fight or flight. That is mm-hmm. unfortunately the way that a lot of us, a lot of the brain and the human experience uh, evolved. How fun uh, for us. How fun for us. <laughs> and now we're trying to learn how to mitigate these primal instincts, right? Of the othering of yeah. in, a, in the new world. And unfortunately, the over-identification with a, your racial identity could be a very easy way for us to fall back into that tribalism that will no longer serve us in the world that I think we're all trying to move towards. One where we can find a space for open dialogue, communication, disagreement, tolerance, love, and ultimately some sense of peace and unification and progress for the individual. Connection, baby. Connection. That is a better word. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I uh, 